When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. It's scrimmage week. Uh, welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I am pretty fired up because I get to watch the Buffs play football on Saturday. And you do too. Make sure that you get out to Folsom. Uh, I think the scrimmage starts at 1. If it's not, it either starts at 1 or ends at 1. It might be like 11.30 that starts and ends at 1. Something like that. Um, yeah, I think that's what it is. Media availability is at 1. And that's why I said that wrong. I really should have planned this part out. But... Get out there, because it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to learn a lot about this team. Um, Crazy to think that we are already 20% of the way through spring camp. Three practices down, 12 to go, including three scrimmages, two of them that we'll be able to see. Um, We will... uh We'll have a lot to talk about this week. Um, I should say, I'll be, I'll be live after the scrimmage on Saturday, and we'll probably be... Maybe like an hour and a half after the scrimmage ends, we'll be live uh, from the DMVR bar. That's why it takes so long, because obviously, scrimmage at Folsom Field in Boulder. After that, you have the media availability, got to talk to the guys, and then uh, drive back down to Denver, and then talk about the first time we've seen Buffs football in five months. And it, even calling what we saw at the end of last season football might be a bit bold, so who knows? Maybe you could make a case that it's the first time since that Texas A&M game. But that's beside the point. The point is, this is a really big week because we are going to learn a lot this week. And I am, as you could probably tell, fired up. I will also say this. I went over to Starbucks this morning, got some cold brew. I always get one size too big because the thing is like you run out of coffee and you think like, oh, I just want to, I want to keep drinking something. Like it's just nice to have something like that that you just have in your hand all day. But then the problem is you get halfway through one of these big old coffees and it's, I don't know. I I feel like I'm on drugs, honestly. I feel like I'm on drugs. But who knows? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I need to start doing drugs for the podcast. I don't know. But I'm fired up about this. Today, we are going to go back through what Carl had to say in his kind of end-of-the-week media availability on Saturday. Um, I pulled, looks like it's seven clips. I pulled seven clips out of that. Some fun stuff in there. We mentioned a couple of them uh, on Saturday in the last podcast, but we're going to get more in-depth here, and I'm going to let Carl kind of speak for himself, which is always fun. Um, in terms of just plan for the week, oh, I should say, we're also going to dig through and, and talk about the schedule just a little bit, just because I had a conversation on Twitter last week um, about basically like winnable games, and it's an interesting schedule. It's an interesting schedule. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. If we have time, which we might not, we might save this conversation for tomorrow night. Um, then we'll also just kind of talk about where did the buffs get better over the off season and where did they get worse? And, and you know, we've kind of dug into these position groups individually, done all that sort of stuff, but just in terms of the big picture, here's a bit of a spoiler. I think that they got better in as many position groups as they got worse. And, you know, again, that's kind of what happens in football is that so much of the roster does stick around and they get a year better like the quarterbacks. It's like a quarterback, 
you will be better this year because Brendan Lewis is going to be better this year. And if he doesn't start, it's because they got somebody even better than him. You know, so there's some stuff like that, too, that kind of tweaks those numbers a little bit. Um, but but maybe we'll get into that today. Maybe we'll have to wait, depending on um, whether I can get through the rest of this stuff pretty quickly. Uh, four podcasts this week. Obviously, doing one right now. We're going to have this out on Monday. We have practice Tuesday and Wednesday this week. So Tuesday night, there will be a podcast. Wednesday night, there will be a podcast. And then the last two practices are Friday and then the scrimmage on Saturday. So there will be another podcast up Friday night. Uh, Obviously, we'll be live on Saturday. So there won't be a podcast on Thursday. And that is uh, kind of the plan for the week. I'm actually not sure who I'm going to talk to. Uh, again, tomorrow's first day in pads, so you typically like go find linemen. I really like t- talking to Casey Roddick, um, but he also has had to do a lot of interviews the last couple days, so maybe hold off for a few more. I don't, I don't think he doesn't. I, I think he might enjoy those anyway, though. Um, I'm curious. I want to hear more about Clay Patterson, specifically talking about some of the things that you're about to hear Carl talk about when it comes to Clay Patterson, the new tight ends coach and passing game coordinator. Um Montana, Lamonius Craig, of course, is on the list. Alex Fontenot's on the list. Um, Terrence Lang, Jalen Sami, definitely on the list. Quinn Perry, Robert Barnes, and more of these corners, these defensive backs. This is a this is a really fun roster. And again, we're gonna talk later on in this show about whether fun can translate into winning. But at the very least, it's a fun group of guys that should be able to play actual actual football, which is a step in the right direction after some of those games we saw last year. Um, I think that's it for all these notes and stuff, so we can just dig into what Carl had to say. And, you know, I, I these aren't going to go in chronological order, so we're, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Instead, I kind of organized them by how how they kind of fit together. And so like the opening statement, you know, he talks about the defense, talks about the offense. I split that into two separate things. Um, and we're, we're going to start with some defensive stuff. And then the second half of all of this, we'll be talking about the offense. So, so here's, here's the beginning of Carl's opening statement and it kind of cuts off in the middle because then it gets into some more offensive stuff. And like I said, we're going to, we're going to hit all of that later on. Um, but, but here's, here's that, that opening statement, a little bit of talk about what went down in practice on Saturday, the third practice for the buffs of spring camp. We just finished up week one. Uh, really, um, I felt like, uh, you know, things are progressing really, really well. Um, you know, we're starting to do, like today, we did some, some situational play in that last team period, playing the second down, playing the third, wherever the second down ended up, we had to play the third down. It was great to hear the communication on defense. Um, you know, that's something that I think has been really important for our defense to be a really good defense is if we can get all 11 guys really understanding their role and, and having great discussion and communication in their adjustments. And I felt for the first time since I've been here, that was as good as I've ever seen, you know, and heard. You know, they did a really good job that way. Even the second team, I thought they did a really good job. So I think our defensive coaches are doing a good job of really helping them understand our package and understanding the adjustments and the nuances with it. I really, I'm very pleased with that. You know, I remember my first year, it was it was helter-skelter out there. It was different. But this year, even get, coming off of last season, um, you can see that development, you know, definitely with some of the players. All right. So, obviously, there's a bunch of new faces out on that defense. Uh, no more Nate Landman, no more Carson Wells, no more Christian Gonzalez, no more Mark Perry, no more Makai Blackman. Uh... I think that's it, though. Only those, like, six starters, five starters, whatever. Uh, when you play young players, when you play guys who are, are new to starting, which will be the case at a bunch of these positions, there are a couple things you worry about. Uh, first one, obviously, in the Buffs case, when you're playing guys who are freshmen and sophomores, really young players, it's just size and strength. And, and can you hold up? You know, as a as a freshman linebacker like Owen Carey going up against a 22 year old guard when you have to beat that block, get in the backfield to make a play. Those are some of the questions, but a lot of the questions come on the mental side, and and I think that the best way to see whether the the mental side is an issue is through this communication, understanding where you're supposed to go, and 
it's a really good sign to hear that the communication is at a level that is potentially better than it's been in the last few years. Again, that's not what you expect when you lose a Nate Landman and Carson Wells and, and all these guys who, for a couple of years now, have been the identity of this defense. I think that being... The longer you run the same defense, the easier it gets to communicate well and understand where you're going and be on the same page. You know, there's less thinking. There's there's less debate. You know, there's if, if Quinn Perry and Robert Barnes are lined up next to each other and Quinn says, okay, bump to the right, and, and Robert says, no, 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 that's not what we do. Well, then all of a sudden, you don't know what's up. You have about five seconds before the offense snaps the ball, and it's just chaos, right? So some of this you just attribute to they've been around the system long enough. And again, that's that's the value of having Chris Wilson back again as defensive coordinator for the second consecutive season. Um, I have I have a little bit more on this, actually, and in the specifics. And I, I really like how Carl breaks this down. And we'll, we'll talk more afterward, but here's here's the clip. I'm hearing D linemen making adjustments when the backfield shifts over, things like that. They're making calls up front. Our linebackers are making calls and making sure that they're, you know, that, that everybody's on the same page. And then our secondary, they're making their calls in, in unison with everyone. So that's what I mean by the communication has been tremendous on all three levels. The lines are making uh, uh, adjustments, the linebacker level, and also the, the back end really doing well. Again, that's what you want to hear. Just a big cohesive unit, but in particular, the defensive line handling their stuff, being able to make their own run fits. Again, that's that's probably one of the bigger questions with this defense is, I mean, because Nate Landman ran the front seven, right? So when it came to checking and changing and all that sort of stuff, a lot of that just ran through Nate. With the defensive line, you have a really veteran group. Potentially, I think pretty easily the most veteran group on the team. I, honestly, the most veteran group on the team in a landslide. I don't think anywhere else even comes close. Um, I guess maybe the outside linebackers, but still, like that's mostly because like a, a Joshka Gustav, who is a sophomore junior. Off the top of my head, I get lost. Those COVID years throw everything off. But they've played quite a bit, although they haven't been around quite as long. With this defensive line, when it starts with Terrence Lang, a sixth-year senior, fifth-year senior, something like that, uh, Jalen Sami, who's been around even longer, you have some some veterans there, and if they're able to to move themselves into the right place and set themselves up and make it so that Quinn Perry and, and Robert Barnes or Marvin Ham or whoever is out there, Owen Carey, can just kind of handle themselves, that that opens things up. And to hear that they're making these calls, these adjustments, these tweaks, whatever you want to call them. That's a that's definitely a really good sign. Um, we can move along. Here's here's some uh, some interesting stuff from Carl on the cornerbacks. Again, a really young group. You have a couple of of juniors in Nigel Bethel, Jalen Stryker. Obviously, Jalen hasn't played yet at CU. Hasn't played a defensive snap. Nigel likely your cornerback one going into this season. But behind that, you have all the guys from last year. You know, Nico Reed, Tyron Taylor, uh, Kalen Moore. And then you have a bunch of true freshmen. But here's here's what Carl had to say about these cornerbacks so far in practice. Offensively, I'm I'm very pleased with the progress they've made with a new offense. You know, the first day was a really clean day. The second day got a little more challenging because the defense played a little bit more man. Uh, it was zoned the first day, so you know how when man coverage, the coverage is tighter. So usually, you know, the completions aren't going to be like every ball's completed now. It's going to be where it's a tough throw and a tough catch. Our corners are doing a tremendous job. The young guys, Kalen, even jo uh, Josh Wiggins. You know, Nico didn't practice today because he's sick. But you know, those young corners are stepping up and really, really being noticed out there. It's kind of it's good to see that there's another generation of young corners like we had last week, last year, that are in the same caliber of, of player. So they're young, you know, including Nico and you know Tyron and those guys that are there that are playing right now. But we have another younger group behind them. But they are very competitive and and they are making plays. Again, it's what you want to hear. And I guess maybe this is the part in the podcast where you say, okay, haven't been allowed to see the team yet. Carl says everything's going great in there. He could just be lying. I don't think he would. Um, although typically his reports from practice have been pretty positive and maybe that's because he does run a pretty tight ship. 
you know, day one of practice, he says, we're, we're moving as efficiently as we have before. We're finishing periods um, early because there, there's still time left on the clock, but we've run through all of our plays. And again, with Carl Durrell, it kind of makes sense that those are the kinds of things that you would do well. You get through practice well. You, there's, there's no, like, downtime. Um, so, so you do have that working in his favor. At the same time, you know, a lot of, a lot of spring camps, fall camps, according to Carl, have gone really well. Um, and I, I believe him, but again, when you can't see what's happening for yourself, you know, you can, you can have just a little bit of doubt about whether everything is really going this well. Um, so I guess you throw in that qualifier at this point. Uh, I think the one line from there that really stands out to me is that you have another generation of cornerbacks that's just as good as the last one. And that's, that's really all you could ask for, right? Because from what we saw from Nico Reed and Kalen Moore and Tyron Taylor when he was at cornerback last year, that should be a really good group. You know, I think that at a minimum, you say two years from now, those are going to be some of your very, very best players on this team. Now, with Christian Gonzalez and Mekhi Blackman gone, you're really hoping that they can take some of those steps early on and start to become those players early on. Still, though, it's it's a very solid group from last year at the very least. And to hear that this next group, these these I think there's two of the true freshman corners already on campus with the other two coming over the summer. If they're just as good as that, then you're really happy. Again, the, the you're you're gonna be putting them on the field at some point. You know, those those five non-true freshman corners, I would be really surprised if they're able to play every single snap this season for this defense. But, you know, this is this is the situation you're in. You got to coach those guys up. And I guess maybe the other thing that you notice from there is obviously the switch from zone to man. You know, you play a lot of zone day one and then go over to man. One of my big questions for this season is just how much man this team can play. And a lot of that relies on these cornerbacks. Nigel Bethel, he can handle himself one-on-one. Um, what about Kalen Moore? What about Nico Reed? Because if that's your top three, and those three are, are winning more often than not in man coverage, that opens up so much for this defense, especially because it, it means that you take a little bit of the responsibility off of whoever your free safety is. You know, whether that's Trevor Woods, whether that's Torin Pittman, there's a bunch of guys who could wind up with that job. But if, if they're able to go back to this cover one scheme that they ran for the first half of last season, when that defense was potentially the best defense in the Pac-12, then you feel a lot more comfortable. Because again, you're not asking so much of whoever your free safety is. With Quinn Perry out there, you're just asking him to be to stand in the middle, read the quarterback's eyes. Everything's going to kind of get funneled to you underneath, and you don't have to you don't have to play with a bunch of range. You don't have to cover everything within the hash marks and, and kind of be on the island. You know, in, in any situation where Quinn Perry has to defend a pass. There's also a cornerback on that receiver or, or a, another defender, whether it's a safety, whether it's Robert Barnes, who's much better in man coverage than zone coverage. There's always going to be somebody else, even if, you know, if, if, he's being, if that receiver's being thrown to, he probably beat that corner. It, it does shorten the window to have somebody a step behind him, even if it'd be better just to be totally covered. So on top of that, you know, the, your, your run fits are much easier in man than in zone. Um, you know, you do worry a little bit more about the quarterback being able to run the ball. But again, if you have Quinn Perry in the middle of the field, uh, when you when you face off against a more mobile quarterback, maybe instead of covering or calling him like your little hole defender underneath, you turn him into a spy. So he kind of does the same thing, except that he keeps an extra eye on the quarterback and, and tries to mirror him just a little bit more. So I do think that in a perfect world, these cornerbacks are good enough to play man coverage this season. And I think that that's probably the, the, the goal here. If you're going through this camp, while, while you have to be versatile, while you have to be diverse, I think that if you can lean on being a man coverage team, it's going to really, really benefit. And so at this point, I probably am just drilling this man coverage into, into all these guys so that over the summer, you know what you're working with. Over the summer, you know, okay, so third downs, 90% of the time, we've got man coverage across the board. Now, we might blitz Quinn up the middle. We might 
drop an extra guy into coverage with a three-man rush and have like two defenders underneath, or maybe you have two guys deep, or maybe maybe you're playing a Drake London type player and you have to double cover somebody. If you know that you're doing that, then you know, okay, we need zone coverages to get through these first and second downs, and that means that you probably aren't expecting quite so many passes. And so it just changes a little bit what sort of plays you draw. Now, if the man coverage doesn't work, you need a more diverse zone package so that you don't get exposed. So just knowing whether you can do what you want to do, I think that that is probably... If I were Chris Wilson or you know, I think Brett Maxey's the defensive passing game coordinator, that would be kind of my big goal here and I'd throw these guys in a lot of man coverage and, and see how they do and it sounds like they're doing pretty well and that's again one one of one of the big signs from camp I would say um moving along we can uh we can touch on the offense so here's I, th- I think this was the second half of Carl's opening statement and and you'll get a chance to hear about um uh, kind of kind of big picture what's going on with this offense at this point I think offensively, you know, the tight ends continue to make a lot of plays. Uh, you know, Eric Olsen had a bunch of catches the first practice, had about five yesterday, and then, you know, again, he had about three or four today. You know, Austin, Austin Smith had a, some good plays today. Uh, I thought our runners had a couple big runs today, both Alex and, and Dion. Uh, quarterbacks made some good throws and catches. I thought uh, Jack Castera, uh, just singling, singling him out is that he's, he was noticed today. He made a few plays today that he continued and did from yesterday. So you're, you're seeing some of the young guys really start to see the confidence start to build right now. Uh, quarterbacks are doing well. Um, you know, O-line I think is doing pretty well. You know, looking at some of our veteran players, Casey Roddick looks like a different Casey Roddick. Better athlete, better condition. You know, his, his weight's probably right around where it should be. He's not heavy, too heavy. And he, he's moving around so, so, so much better. Same thing with Noah Fenske. You know, and Frank and, and Jake, you know, I think Tommy's doing well. You know, he's our new addition at guard. He, he's doing some really good things, too. All right. So we touched on a couple of these things yesterday. Um, let's just let's just kind of start at the top there. So obviously, first thing out of Carl's mouth when it comes to the offense, these tight ends. And that's what you want to hear. That's obviously what you want to hear. And I think it's even more exciting that they aren't talking about Brady Russell because we have no doubt that Brady Russell is going to be a good football player. The question is, of the four other freshmen who are in that tight ends room, do you, first of all, have one who can go out there and make you kind of dynamic in your two tight end sets? But then also, do you have just like a future star? And the two tight ends he named, first of all, as he said, Eric Olson, he's probably the the kind of the buzz of camp at this point. He's the guy who you just keep coming back to. You talk to anybody about who's playing well. The first answer is Eric Olson. That is obviously very notable. From there, Austin Smith being the other tight end gets mentioned. That's exciting. So for those of you who don't fall recruiting all that closely, Austin Smith was kind of that last, I think he was the very last signee or last commitment? No, it was. It would have been last signee because he came in really late last year um, as as a tight end out of Texas. Now, one of the things that makes him interesting, and we actually did talk about this a little bit yesterday, is that he came from an offense that didn't use the tight end. So he was basically like this big slot receiver they threw out there. Which, I mean, modern tight ends typically that is how they are used now. At least you know half the time or third of the time, whatever. So. He came in, wasn't really rated. I don't, he might not have been rated at all by the the you know recruit recruiting services, but obviously the, the talent kind of speaks for itself. What he does kind of speaks for itself. He's a big, fast, tight end, and he's one of those guys that you could just see being that diamond in the rough because he just didn't put enough on tape as a tight end to get recruited by the big guys. You know why? Why would? Alabama be in on this guy when they can go after anybody in the country and that includes the guys who are built like him who can move like him who caught passes like him but also you at least have some tape of him as an inline tight end blocking right so for him to be one of these other names that's being mentioned again I think he's one of the most intriguing players on the team because of that skill set and, and because that's a position that hasn't really uh hasn't really been used 
that much. Um, I, I think that that's notable. And we're actually going to come back to the tight ends in a little bit here. Um, but but first, let's run through a couple of the other things Carl said. Um, good runs from Alex and Dion. You'll love to hear that. Jack Hestera, the wide receiver, making plays. Uh, not a name that we've heard all that much before. This is the first mention, so I don't think you listen to that and say, ooh, Jack Hestera, he's going to be the new stud. But, you know, if he makes a couple plays in this scrimmage on Saturday, then we could really get the buzz moving. Ooh, offensive line. Some good stuff there. Starts by by kind of praising Casey Roddick. And Casey was a guy who, so he he had, we'll call it like whatever, the mysterious offseason injury that, that kept him out of spring ball last year. He wasn't really cleared until like two days before fall camp. Wasn't in good shape. First thing Carl says, in good shape. Seems like he's he's more athletic than before. And we also saw Casey have some some struggles cracking into the starting lineup last year, which really surprised me because to me, he might be just your, could be your most talented offensive lineman. When you just look at him and say raw tools, raw traits, um, brains, all those things combined, who is the best? Like you, you look at him. Um, you also look at, um, that's a good question. I mean, Austin Johnson, we'll talk more about Austin Johnson too. Uh, but, but Casey to me is, you know, he's everything that you could look for in a guard. Now it's just putting it together, and uh, it's good to hear that he is doing well because you do, and you're kind of banking on him turning into a stud this year. If this offensive line is going to be, you know, one of the better offensive lines in the Pac 12, which would be a massive, massive step forward, which means it's probably kind of unlikely. Part of the equation is Casey Roddick being right up there as one of the very best guards in the Pac-12. And again, early buzz is good. Uh, that reminds me, yesterday I played the, uh, or not yesterday, Saturday, I played the interview with Brady and I included like the context, you know, that was JT that came over. That was Clay Patterson who brought up him doing an interview with his shirt off and a man bun. Um, I forgot to say, at one point in that interview, um, Casey comes over and just gives me a nice little slap on the back. It's just like, it's like a pat on the back. It's like, hey, what's up? Boy, does that still hurt. What a big, strong man. And and so if you guys listen to that, and it's like Brady saying, oh, yeah, heavy hands, whatever. That was Casey Roddick. And I forgot to mention that before. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to it, though. Um, other notes on the offensive line. We talked about this stuff a little bit more. Uh, Frank, and, Frank Phillip, Jake Wiley, those are your tackles. Tommy... Uh, Tommy Brown at guard, a little bit of a surprise. That, a, a pretty big surprise, honestly, but that's where he's working right now. Um, obviously, Casey Roddick is your other guard. And, you know, I guess let's just start there because you lose two pieces from last year's offensive line. You lose Colby Purcell, your center. You lose Kari Kutch, your, your best offensive lineman, who was a guard. All of a sudden, Tommy Brown is taking over for Kari. And so you look at that, and to be honest, I don't think you see too much of a drop-off. Now, it might be a little bit bold, but based on what I've heard about Tommy, I don't think you see too much of a drop-off. Now, obviously, Jake Wiley, as a sophomore, you expect him to be better. Frank Phillip, now eight months removed, maybe maybe closer to a year removed from his shoulder surgery, you expect him to get better, plus just like the natural progression of playing more football. You expect him to be better. Casey Roddick, obviously, you expect him to be better based on what we've heard. At center, Colby Purcell, now you have Noah Fenske and Austin Johnson competing. Um, I th- First of all, I'll say this. The, the reason I expect the offensive line to be better isn't because you can go through on paper and be like, oh, yeah, this guy or this guy, this guy or this guy, this guy with more experience. The reason you expect it to be better is because you have Kyle Devan as offensive line coach and not Mitch Rodrigue. I think that there's a real chance that the Buffs had, again, I hate just bashing on people, but potentially the worst offensive line coach in Power 5 football last year. And if not, he was very near the bottom. Now you have somebody who's coming in from Michigan. Sure, he was only quality control there, um, but that was the best offensive line in the country. They won the award for the best offensive line in the country, and, and he was helping out there. He also has been like the assistant offensive line coach with the New Orleans Saints, uh, and, and he has a very good resume, and already offensive linemen are saying, like, yep, this is a massive step forward. Um, and coaches are saying that as well. So that is why you expect to be better, not because of just like the individual pieces. I think you could also, though, look at these individual pieces and say, 
just on paper for this group to be better, it's going to come down to the center position because everything else is... I, th I think you're not guaranteed that it's a wash at worst, but you're pretty close to it because, again, you lose Kari, you, you upgrade everybody else, and you put Tommy in in his place. At center, though, that could be, at least on paper, kind of the deciding factor between last year's line and this year's line. Noah Fenske comes in from Iowa. He's got, I think, two years of eligibility left. It might be three. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to check on that one. Um, but uh, Austin Johnson is the competition. and he's He's been hurt quite a bit. He uh, does project as one of the very best linemen, one of the more talented linemen um, in this group. And it does sound like Carson Lee is back with the program. Obviously, he's working out. He's, he's doing the drills. He is a part of the, the conversation. Right now, he's working at guard. I think that that would make you expect that he's probably in third right now in that competition. Still, that's, uh, that's, it's worth, worth paying attention to. Um, here's more. Here's more on Austin Johnson. Real quick, though, Noah Fenske does have three years of eligibility left, as does Austin Johnson. Uh, Carson Lee has three as well, but also hasn't used a redshirt year. So there's, uh, there's the information you need to know. Here's more on Austin Johnson. He's been here a couple of years, um, but, and he's, he's performing and, and playing as if he's an older player, to be honest with you. So I haven't seen a lot of really competitive reps with him since I've been here. But these last few days, I've been very pleased with what he's done. You know, even his communication, what he's doing, making sure he's making, you know, the directional calls that the line needs to make. And, you know, I, I feel like that's, uh, that's definitely improved too. And he has done a really nice job, you know, given coming off of both, shoot both legs, you know, having the surgeries that he's had. He's done a really good job of just getting past that. And now he's playing football. So if we want to kind of like dig into the nuance of, Will these centers be better than Colby Purcell? Will they be worse than Colby Purcell? Colby in particular, you know, his best strength was his brain. Um, he's, he's a really smart guy. You know, he, he also, in terms of just like pure blocking ability, like again, as a, as a fifth year senior, he held his own. He, he didn't really get pushed around. He also was, was really nothing special as, as a blocker. You know, just pretty average there, good brain. Combine that with the coaching situation last year. I think that some of the brain got wasted, and because of that, you saw him get out of position uh, from time to time. Um, and because of that, wasn't quite able to make the blocks because he isn't the these freaky sort of athletes who can recover when they're out of position. And so that's that's why I think he struggled last year. Now, again, the coaching situation is different, so purely on paper, how do these two compare? I think that you probably look at Austin Johnson for sure and probably Noah Fenske and say, okay, they, they should be stronger, should be maybe just a little bit more mobile, especially Austin Johnson, probably a little bit more mobile. Um, that lateral mobility is, is what matters on the interior right there. And do they have the, the, the brain to run everything that's going on? Because... In, in college football, usually that's not on the quarterback unless you have like a senior quarterback, unless you have somebody pretty good who's been there for a while. Um, a lot of the time it is the offensive line, the, and typically the center, who says like, okay, we got this guy, this guy, look over there, we're, we're sliding this way, whatever. And to hear that he seems to understand that stuff, that's good for Austin Johnson. Um, the fact that Noah Fenske's still ahead of him on the, on the depth chart, he's working with the ones while Johnson's working with the twos, I think that probably says something good about, Fen or, yeah, about Fenske as well. Um, so we'll see how that all shakes out, and we'll also get to see on Saturday whether these guys can block Terrence Lang and Jalen Sami and Naeem Rodman and, and Guy Thomas on the edge, and uh, probably Chance Main starting on the other edge. Uh, they have some options there, though. So we'll, we'll get a chance to see what it looks like on uh, Saturday, but again, this offensive line book it it will be better this year the question is by better do you mean 115th out of 130 in college football or do you mean 60th or 70th because if you can just get into that top 100 and I think that this is kind of true for a lot of these positions or even just like the passing game in general if you can get the passing game into the top 100 if you can get the running game into the top 100 um, if you can get the the offensive line into the top 100 you're not you're not going to go out there and 
you know, go undefeated, be a Pac-12 title threat. You're going to need more of an improvement than that to get there. But if you were to combine that with last year's defense, I think that last year's team probably makes a bowl game. I think that's all that that defense needed to, to win six games with that schedule. And we'll talk about this year's schedule a little bit more later on, like I said. Um, now, also, this year's defense is probably not as good as last year's defense, but we'll see about that. Um, moving along, though. Here is... Uh, before we get to the tight ends, here's this. Um, basically, how much of the new offense is being thrown at these guys right now? A lot. A lot. And the hard thing here, you know, I didn't, I didn't mention much about our receivers that we're really thin at receiver right now. We only have six guys that are practicing and, you know, we're in a lot of three, sometimes four receiver sets. That's not a lot of receiver depth. So we have to be, you know, playing, being more, you know, 12 personnel at times because of the receiver depth. So, um, you know, I think they're, they're growing and, and doing some really good things. Like I mentioned with Jack, you know, I thought today, couple of really great catches today in the red zone area that you know RJ had and and uh, we had a great end zone catch uh, you know from Montana so those guys are making plays but I'm concerned about our depth you know we just started right I got 12 more of these and so we got to find a, the right pace so that we can have su some sustainability out there you know how this game is you know you get nicked up all right I mean first the simple stuff touchdown from Montana RJ Sneed making plays we expect those things. Brings up Jack Hysteria again. Again, too soon to 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 get hyped about Jack Hysteria, but if he, if this keeps going on, then then maybe we can talk. Um, bigger picture, though, there was one thing he said that I think really stands out, and that was that he says there are a lot of three receiver sets and sometimes four receiver sets. We don't know what this offense is going to look like. It does sound like it's going to be kind of that base 11 personnel, though. Three receivers on the field. Uh, that's, that's again, very notable. I'm excited to see what this offense looks like on Saturday, but I do think that Saturday's version of the offense will be more heavy. You know, they'll, they'll see a fullback more, see two tight ends on the field more often, and that's just because of the injuries. So I'm not going to read too much into it. What I might read more into, though, is you know how many RPOs are there? You know, or how much play action is there? Um, what what style of running? Is it power running? Is it zone running? Um, is, is Brendan taking deep shots out of these heavy sets? That'd be kind of fun to see. So, so there's stuff like that that you can pick up on. But I also think that when Mike Sanford came over, because he's coming over from Minnesota, people thought, oh, it's going to be a very heavy offense. There's going to be a lot of tight ends. And I got kind of sucked up into that for a second there too. In reality, though, I, I'm not sure that I really believe that. I do think that you see three receivers on the field, and, and in particular because of what we just heard from Carl. Again, we won't know for sure. I don't even know that they know for sure until they figure out. You know, if, if you have Brady Russell and Eric Olsen, and, and both of them are who, at this point, who I think we can say who we think they are because Eric is making all those plays, then maybe maybe that conversation changes. But I think that that was the biggest thing that I pulled out of there, and I think that that's... Uh, that's probably it. Again, like Montana and RJ making plays. I, I've got RJ. I'm pretty confident RJ will be the number one receiver this year. Uh, RJ Sneed, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, transferred in from Baylor over the offseason. He's a senior. He's a He was an all-Big 12 performer. He just has the resume and, and, and the highlight reel and, and just the, the general production to, to back that up, that he probably is your number one receiver. And again, I, I have... Montana penciled in as my number two receiver. I think that there's a lot of uh, competition there, though. So we'll have to see what exactly that winds up being. Um, but for those two to be making plays, not a huge surprise. Uh, last clip here from Carl. And this is him expanding a little bit on the tight ends. In particular, you know, I was asked, like, you know, sounds like the tight ends are doing really well. Does does the fact that Clay Patterson, your new tight ends coach, uh, is is also your passing game coordinator, do you think that's why that you're seeing more of this production? Well, that was kind of my thought process with, with when we built the staff offensively is, is, is to have the tight end coach be someone that's more intricate in the passing game. You know, and Clay's done a, with his experience, he's, uh, you know, he really can coach all of those skill positions. You know, we, are, we have a great receiver coach too, but 
there's no question in my mind though that him being in that role ties everything together you know ties the at least the interior part of the passing game together and that's usually involves the tight ends a little bit better so there you go um i think that's it i think that that's it from carl and like I said, we're going to talk about the schedule a little bit, which, you know, we, we talked about the schedule when it first dropped. Obviously, we knew the non-conference games. We've known those non-conference games for probably a decade, honestly. But we did find out what the actual shape of the schedule is in terms of Pac-12 play. You know, we knew home and road. We didn't know when exactly those games would happen. And I felt like now is a good time to kind of circle back and say, which of those games are games that, the Buffs should win or could win or, or, or whatever because so much has changed in the Pac-12 over this offseason. Uh, real quick, though, Breckenridge Brewery is awesome, and uh, I love them. Um, like I said, had a big night with uh, Breckenridge on Saturday watching all of those basketball games and then, you know, getting into trouble afterward. Then what else even happened? Uh, I guess that was it for beer over the weekend. I think that this week, there'll probably be more beer. Let's see, Rockies opening day is Thursday. Obviously, Col- no, Colorado's off. Maybe I will try to go opening day. Um, that, that scrimmage is Saturday. Like I said, we've got a, uh, a live show after. I'm going to have a whole bunch of writing to do that day, too, because, you know, it's my job. After that, though, I think the Rockies play at 6, so maybe I can get to that. The Lakers are here. I'm not even sure that that Laker game has has had a time that's been announced, but I'm going to find a way to watch some sports this week, and when I do that, I will be drinking Breckenridge beers. You know why? Because they sell them at, I think, I think all the stadiums in Denver, because they partner with all these different teams. It really is the best stuff out there, so, so get your hands on some, some good company hard seltzers, whatever. You will not be disappointed. Also, today is your last chance to get in on this offer that, trust me, you want to get in on. If you pick either of these teams tonight in the national championship game to win, and you put $5 on them through DraftKings Sportsbook, you will get $200 in free bets if you get it right. That's five $40 free bets. It's an awesome promotion. It's your last chance to get in. Again, this is only for new users, but even if you're not a new user, I'm sure there's there's a whole bunch of other options. Actually, let, let me let me pull this up and see what these other options are. Um, I'm actually I'm gonna be on the DMVR bet show tomorrow. Tomorrow at 3:30, it'll be live. Um, I'll plug that because why not? Uh, oh, the Masters this week too. Oh, a profit boost up to 200%. So the, the special for non-new users for tonight is this. Uh, you just opt in to the promotion and you get, you're randomly assigned some sort of profit boost. And you don't know how big that profit boost is going to be. Uh, it, it could be 200%, 100%, 50%, 25%, or 10%. I just got mine. Let's see. 25%, 25%. So that means if you take uh, Kansas to to cover the, the minus four, instead of that being minus 110, you get it at plus 113. So you flip the odds from in the sportsbook's favor to in your favor. Definitely take advantage of that. Take advantage of all the awesome master stuff. And if you haven't signed up yet, use the code DMVR at DraftKings Sportsbook to bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code DNVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Also, got to plug uh, Ripple. What Ripple is, is a fast acting dissolvable so it's clinically proven to hit two times faster than the leading gummy they they don't use like sketchy science they actually were studied by colorado state university boo Uh, but it was a randomized placebo controlled trial with real people results were published in a peer-reviewed journal the way it works is it's just this little packet it's flavorless it's odorless it's dissolvable you just put it in anything typically like in a drink and you just drink it and then that's the fastest way to get thc into your system um if you really want fast just stick out your tongue put it on your tongue and you'll be good to go very quickly 
Um, there's different doses. You get to pick all that sort of stuff. And you can pick it all out at Colorado's premier dispensary. That's Light Shade with 11 convenient Denver Metro and Aurora locations. They offer something for everyone from the casual consumer to the connoisseur. They have a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories, and more. Plus, podcast listeners can get 25% off non-sale items with the code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com for pickup or visit a Lightshade location near you. All righty. Um, let's run through the schedule. Let's run through the schedule. We're, we're already much further into this podcast than I expected, so we'll do that other stuff I was talking about. You know, Where'd they get better? Where'd they get worse? At some point in the next couple of days, uh, hopefully I'll have an interview to play tomorrow. We'll, we'll figure it out. For now, though, like I said, digging into this schedule... First of all, you start at home against TCU. A big storyline here, of course, is that Mark Perry is now playing safety over at TCU. He was Colorado's second leading tackler last year, made some plays on the ball late in the season that you know had me pretty excited about what was to come for him at Colorado. Understand why he wanted a fresh start. You know, the, he, he had some tr- struggles at CU, and I don't think the, the fans forgot about those. Um, now, though, he'll be, what, a junior at TCU? Um, I expect him to start, and that's kind of the big storyline. Point is, though, can Colorado beat TCU? I think so. I think so. At, at least at this point, I'm not ruling it out. You know, we're going to learn a lot about this team, and, and there's a chance that this this team is as bad as Twitter would make you think it is um, because they did lose however many starters. But as Carl Durrell and Chris Wilson and just about everybody has said over and over and over again, that's college football. Like, a lot of teams lose a lot of starters every single year. Now, again, that, that doesn't make it like, oh, no, it's fine that they left. But it does mean that this is not all that rare to have this much turnover. Because um, what? You, you lost four starters to you know, graduation um, to expiring eligibility to the NFL, whatever. You lost six starters to the transfer portal. And so where does that leave you? You know, you're, you're down 10 starters. It's not a good situation, but I mean, what? Last year, Utah lost 10 starters on its defense alone. Now, Utah was also a better team, so it was easier to play, whatever. Point is, we don't know what this team is. It could really struggle. It could. I don't think there's a world where it's as bad as last year's team. I think it has to be better just because the coaching staff will be so much better. You'll have, you'll have better play calling offensively. You'll have a better quarterback. The offensive line, at the very least, will be. It, it won't just be like a joke, you know. And I feel bad saying that still, but last year it was a really, really, really bad offensive line. And and also, I mean, that might have been more notable to the the record than. The play calling even, who's to say? But this year the team will at least be as good as last year's. I'm confident in that. Especially because you remember, like, that defense, it was all hurt most of the year. Um, And so while it was a really great defense, second half of the season you really didn't see it just because, you know, you didn't have a Nate Lehman. Um, You you didn't have Makai. And, and again, you're not going to have those guys this year, but you didn't have them for half of last year anyway. Um... I guess, before we dig in, just to make this whole point clear, I think that this team is probably going to win four or five games as of right now. Um, And I think that to do that, they're going to have to be much, much better. There is a chance, though, that it really does struggle and that it is the worst team in the Pac-12. That is very much on the table. Um, But when I run through the schedule, here's what I see. With TCU, that is not a a team that is scary. Um, It's a... I mean, what, a, a, kind of a, a below-average below average Power 5 team? You know, I think that you look over and say, like, uh, who in the Pac-12 would be competitive with them? Um, and I think, I think they beat, like, an Oregon State, although Oregon State was surprisingly good last year. Uh, you know, I, Stanford had a down year, so it's tough to compare them. But, like, TCU, UCLA... I think that that is the kind of game where it's like, yeah, yeah, you could really see that one going either way. Um, let's see where I wanted to see the results last year. First of all, they were five and seven, um, but they played. Oh, I thought they played a Pac-12 team. Maybe not. Um, oh, Cal. They beat Cal thirty-four to thirty-two. So that kind of puts it in perspective. Where it's like Cal, yeah, the 
Buffs, Buffs should be able to beat Cal. Um, we'll, we'll get to that later. But TCU, I think that you TCU is a favorite. I think they're probably something like a six and a half point favorite. Uh, but I do think that that game, especially at home, first game of the season, that's one that's on the table. Um, at Air Force the next week, I don't know how you evaluate this one. Um, you know, because Air Force, I mean, at this point, they feel like they're a perennial 10-win team. Again, they play in the Mountain West, but the triple option just makes everything weird. I'm not going to say that you can't beat Air Force, though. Although, again, I'll say going down to Colorado Springs, um, if, if there is a preseason line for this game, I would guess that it's about the same as the TCU line. Um, and I'd guess that both of those are about six and a half points that the buffs are underdogs. Um, from there at Minnesota, you know, I think, I think TCU's better than Minnesota. I'll start there. I think that being at Minnesota definitely changes the, the dynamic though, of course. And this is probably one where you're like a seven point underdog, especially because you played them last year and there was a 30 to zero loss. Um, which is wild to think about. But again, in that game, they had so many opportunities, just blew them all. You know, they, they were down 13-0 in the third quarter. Or just score two touchdowns. Score two touchdowns. It's not asking all that much. And I think that if, if you just go back and replay that game just with Colorado's offense, I think they have at least 10 points at halftime, you know? Um, but still, Minnesota's favored. But I don't look at any of these three and say like, oh, boy, is that going to be a beatdown? Um the buffs just don't have any chance there. Um, from there, you're at home against UCLA. <sighs> it's a tough read. I, I think that stylistically, that's a tougher game for Colorado than these other ones, just because you're going to have to put up a lot of points. I think that UCLA is going to probably be top three in scoring this year, and I think that their defense is going to be in the bottom half. And so can Brendan Lewis and all these guys in week four of the season keep up with that? You know, again, right now I'd say no, but you're at home, so who knows? Um, who knows? Uh, and again, I think that they they were leading in that game last year before they just absolutely imploded. And that one was on the road. It's, it's I guess, going through this exercise, the key takeaway is, who, who the hell are the buffs? What are the buffs going to do? Um, at Arizona, I get that, like, yeah, Arizona, they added so many pieces the, the the program's moving in the right direction um but again like let's put things into context here they got washington state's quarterback yeah Jaden delora he's he's gonna be better than what they had but again it's not like you look at washington state's offense last year and you're like oh oh holy heck how are we gonna beat these guys no and and again moving in the right direction for arizona that means they won a game last year they lost 17 in a row it's <laughs> that if, if I know you're on the road at Arizona, but you I think that that one's a win. Um, again, though, like if this team is as bad as as it could be, um, then this one is on the table. But this is going to be kind of this honestly defining stretch starts right there. Um, that that's your last game. That's October first, last game before the bye. After the bye, you're home against Cal. You've got to be able to beat Cal. You're at Oregon State. Oregon State was good last year. They get B.J. Baylor, that running back, back. It's Oregon State, though. It's Oregon State. Like, it, it, that should be a competitive game. Um, from there, you're home against Arizona State. They lose Jaden Daniels, their their star quarterback, who even he was like 10 touchdowns, 10 interceptions passing last year, which is crazy because he was super efficient, but that's just the direction that program has taken. They're in big trouble. I think they're a candidate to to be bottom three in the Pac-12 for sure. Again, if, if Colorado's going to make a bowl game, the, this game against Arizona must win. Cal must win. Oregon State must win. Arizona State must win. And those are those are four games in a row, though you, you, you do get that bye week in there. From there, though, home against Oregon, and you should probably lose that one by 15 points. Um that's probably what the line is, and I would probably still take Oregon in that one. Um, you're at USC. You you call that one a loss for sure. And, you know, USC, is it overrated? All that. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, Colorado's never beaten USC. So you bet on USC until you're wrong, you know? It's the same thing with, like, the Los Angeles Chargers. It's like, yeah, they have Justin Herbert. Yeah, they, they got all these cool players. You, you bet on them to screw things up until they prove you wrong, and then you reevaluate. 
Um, so at Oregon, then at USC, that's a tough stretch. At Washington, that's a tough one too. That's uh, that's that's one of the bigger question marks in the Pac-12. I think Washington, at any point, just because they recruit well, they could just pull it together. You know, similar to Stanford, I see them in that same way where it's like, yeah, they were really bad last year. At the same time, they they had the freshman quarterback, and they get they got Penix up there now, right? Yeah, I think Penix was Washington from Indiana. Now I'm starting to doubt that though. He one of those northern schools. That's that's the point. Um, but but Washington, are they are they a four win team? Are they an eight win team? Who knows? But. Again, for Colorado to make the uh, a bowl game, I think that this is kind of the final piece of the puzzle is you have to win at Husky Stadium, which is not an easy place to win because at the end of the season, you're home against Utah. Utah is a very strong program, and they lost some really important pieces, but you bet on them being able to replace those, right? At this point, you, Utah gets the benefit of the doubt. So again, just like what is the path to the bowl game? It's winning one of your non-conference games, whether that's TCU, whether that's Air Force, whether that's Minnesota, win one of your non-conference games. From there, win against Arizona, Cal, Oregon State, Arizona State. And here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll pick the buffs in all of those because I think you go 2-2 two and two at worst, and so I finish 500, right? I'll, I'll put that on record right now. You go you go minimum 2-2 two and two against those four teams. Um, and then... You beat Washington. You know, that's that's your path. One non-conference game, Arizona, Cal, Oregon State, Arizona State, which would be, again, four wins in a row would be wild. Um, and then you, you go into Washington and, and win that one. Now, obviously, if, if you can pull off the home upset against Utah, who knows? You beat USC for the first time, that'd be great. You beat Oregon uh, 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 at in Boulder, I guess that makes it easier. Sure, that would work too. Um, or I think more likely than pulling any of those three upsets is to go two and one in non-conference play. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's kind of like looking through, I don't think things are as dire as Twitter would make you think. I, I really don't. I, and again, we aren't going to know until the season, like it'll be fun to get out there and go to these scrimmages and see what they look like and, and watch the spring game at the same time though. I mean, if Montana, Lamonius Craig, can beat Kalen Moore, or they have a great battle, or whatever, we just don't know what that level of competition is either way, right? Like, we know Montana's made some plays. We made we know Kalen Moore's made some plays. Are they, like, average Pac-12 players for their position? They below average? Better? Who knows? And so that, that kind of puts a kink in everything. Um, yeah. I think I think that does it for today. Like I said, this is a big week. This is going to be a really fun week. I hope you guys are excited, and I hope you're going to be out there on Saturday. You know, <laughs> this reminds me. I saw somebody on Twitter saying like, oh, "I couldn't, I just couldn't bring myself to 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 renew my season tickets." You know, it's just it just hasn't been fun at that stadium recently. It's like, what are you talking about? They went four and two at home last year. You know, where it's like, yes, did did the road games really stink? Yeah. And some of those home games were not all that fun either. You know, I'm not going to... Actually, is that even true? I guess Minnesota was not fun. Um, but you go through, like, the home schedule last year. Northern Colorado, you win 35-7. Sure, it was too close in that first quarter. Whatever. You won by four touchdowns. Um, the, the home game against Minnesota, yeah, that was ugly. Uh, the, the home game against USC, yeah. But if you didn't see that one coming, it, I mean, Colorado has never beaten USC before. Would have been nice if it was closer than 37-14, though. Then you have the 34-point shutout of Arizona. Then you have the double overtime win against Oregon State. Then you have the, the close game against Washington you pull out. I don't know. Like, to say it hasn't been fun at Folsom Field, it's like they, they haven't had a losing record at Folsom Field since 2015. They were 4-2 there last year. So, I mean, I, th I think that it's, it's about time for a lot of people to kind of pull themselves together and stop crying in the corner about this football team and, and realize that this is a really good coaching staff. There's a lot of really talented players on this team. B Brendan Lewis is really talented. Alex Fontenot has all the potential in the world to be one of the better running backs in the Pac-12. I think expectation should be for him to be top six running back in the Pac-12. And if he's not, then it's probably because 
Ramon Jefferson or, or who knows, maybe even Deion Smith breaks out. Um, with these wide receivers, you bring in R.J. Sneed, who, you know, if, if you're an all-Big 12 receiver, why can't you be an all-Pac-12 receiver, right? And, and the answer is, is the passing game what it was last year? If that's the case, then yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But you add in what should be an all-Pac-12, an all-conference player, you have other guys who are talented and poised to break out. If, if you get one of those other receivers to pop, all of a sudden you're you're looking at one of the better receiving cores in the Pac-12. And you remember that you have Phil McGagan as your wide receivers coach and Carl Durrell as your head coach. So expecting one of those guys to figure it out, not that bold. Brady Russell's your tight end. You have a top half of the Pac-12 tight end. You also have all this talent behind him. You have an offensive line that at the very least should be greatly improved. If not, I mean, I think it has the potential to actually be solid, good even. So, I don't know. The, the, the sky isn't falling. The sky fell. The sky fell back in December. But again, like, it's teams lose players. I think we can stop living in the past for at least a few more weeks and see what's going on here. And again, that starts on Saturday and it should be so much fun. Uh, I'm fired up. Hopefully I'll see some of you guys out there. And uh, yeah, should be a big week. I'll be back tomorrow night after practice to share more and we'll talk then.